grace, mercy, and peace from our creator, our savior, Jesus Christ, and our sustainer, the Holy Spirit, be with you now and always. So the other evening I was um, in my room and I heard Missy talking on the phone with our oldest daughter, Chloe, and she came into the room and said, hey, Chloe's got something to talk to you about. So I got on the phone and Chloe asked me, is Missy in the room or mom in the room? And I said, no, she's not. So Chloe went on to explain that she had a surprise for Missy and me, but she would need some help pulling off that surprise. So she asked if I would like to help to be, uh, like to help to surprise Missy, or would I like to be the one surprised? Yeah, I had to giggle myself, right? I was like, well, since our current... Anyway. Uh, All this doesn't come to a shock for me because my family context, we love to surprise family members. But suddenly my mind was filled with intrigue. I'm like, what could this surprise be? I, I, I told her, I said, yes, I will help you out. Just let me know what you need. So she shared with me that they were coming for a short visit in April, just for a couple of days. And then I told Chloe, I'm like, you know, your mother would really appreciate, well, first would be surprised whenever she finds out that you're coming for a visit, but I really appreciate that because our schedules are very busy, just let us know when you're gonna show up um, (laughs) so that we wouldn't have plans or other scheduled things when our daughter and her boyfriend Jonah shows, shows up. So we all know about the surprise now. <laughs> and we also look forward to experiencing that joy of seeing our daughter for only the second time in about two years. It's easy to name that joy. It's something to look forward to. The only challenge will be waiting for six weeks from today and then navigating through Chicago to the O'Hare Airport, um, navigating all that traffic. But as we do, we will experience that joy. We're not there yet, but we will encounter that joy in six weeks. As we encounter, as we continue our Lenten journey with the theme, The Seed of Joy from Barngeese Worship. This is a group of mostly Lutheran pastors, but not all. But they come together to form these resources. Today we explore expectant joy. Expectant joy is the joy that we know is coming, but is not yet here in its fullness. This expectant joy is deeply tied to the relationship God wants to have with us, and I believe the relationship God wants us to have with others. This expectant joy of relationship with God is tied to the covenants that God has made throughout the Bible with God's people. Last week, we heard God made a covenant with Noah and his family. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. God reaches out and makes the covenant. 
This promise to never destroy the earth again. God cries out to Noah and makes a bow in the sky to remind God's self. Then we hear today that God modifies this covenant, this promise. God shapes it a bit differently to continue the relationship with Abram and Sarai. Four times in seven verses, God tells Abraham that God will make a covenant with him and Sarai. They will be the ancestors of a multitude of nations and that God will be God to them and their offspring. God then gives them new names to renew this covenant and brings them expectant joy in the promise of a son, even at their old age. It reads in Genesis 17, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between you, me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. You know, what's left out if we would continue that reading in Genesis is that Abraham falls to his face laughing. Now, Abraham's laughter is not expectant joy, but shows us that sometimes when we are shown the love and the power of God, it can sometimes seem too good to be true. We might consider it laughable, but God's love and hope for relationship with us is indeed true. Through time, God continues to modify the promise. Not because God's love has changed, but because we and the folks in Scripture need to hear it again. How much God loves us. Now prior even to Noah, God's first covenant was with Adam and Eve. And then after what we heard from Abraham, Abraham God makes covenants with Moses and the Israelites, and then again with David, and then, of course, the new covenant in Jesus Christ. It's almost like God knows what we need before we do. God reminds us of God's promise to share expectant joy. From our resource, Barn Geese Worship, Victoria, Reverend Victoria Larson writes this, this facet of joy hopes against hope as we hear in Romans 4. It proclaims deliverance to a people yet unborn, as we heard in Psalm 22. It echoes through God's words to Abram, even before Abram's son Isaac is born. I have made you the ancestors of a multitude of nations, in Genesis 17. It speaks through the prophet who says that God will wipe away tears from all faces in Isaiah 25. It thrums through Jesus' promise to his displaced disciples that he will prepare a place for them in John chapter 14. It inhabits, in, it inhabits each crumb of communion bread, a foretaste of the feast to come. It resounds through baptism and funeral liturgies when we recall Paul's words if we have been united with him in a death like Christ's, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Even in our gospel text, you may find it hard to believe, but you can feel the underground current of this expectant joy. 
Jesus is again teaching and calling to those who want to follow him. Jesus is the Messiah who has come to fulfill God's ancient promises. The funny thing is, Peter knows all this. He just claimed Jesus as the Messiah in the previous verses right before our gospel kicked off this morning. Yet as Jesus quite openly announces to all who have ears to hear that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering and be rejected by all the spiritual leaders, be killed and after three days be raised, therefore breaking the power of sin and death, Peter is stunned. What Peter just heard was, this is the good news that Jesus has come to bring, embody, and accomplish. But he's not sure about it. Jesus' resurrection from the dead brings about expectant joy, which is at the very center of the Christian faith. This is the triumphant recognition of God's salvific intent. But it cannot arrive until after Jesus suffers crucifixion. But from Peter's point of view, in his witness of what Jesus has done, this is preposterous. Why would Jesus need to suffer or die to bring about joy when Jesus is the one who calms the stormy seas? When Jesus is the one who heals people and has cast out demons? Jesus is the one who preaches and teaches and where people gather to him and the experts can't refute him. After all, at his baptisms, the heavens were torn apart even. In Peter's mind, why in the world would Jesus need to suffer to be rejected and die? So as, P as Peter is rebuking Jesus, Jesus interrupts him and turns and looks at all of his disciples and says, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Well, in Peter's defense, and maybe even our own, yeah, we are human. That's what humans do. But that's what makes Jesus' words so important. In Jesus' response, he gives a glimpse into what divine things are. We are called to set our mind on those divine things. The covenant and the promise of God. We are called to focus on the love, grace, and forgiveness God brings to each and every relationship. Showing us the way to experience the expectant joy that is right now but not yet here in the full. This week, Dr. Corey Driver said something in his podcast and it keeps running through my mind. To me, it shines a light on how humanity confuses human things with divine things. It explains how we misinterpret, just like Peter, what Jesus is asking when he says, deny yourselves and take up your cross. There are Christian folk out there, and maybe others, that take the Christus Victor theology the wrong way, or at least to an extreme. Now, Victus, Victor Christus Sorry, Christus Victor is the element of atoning work of Christ 
that emphasizes the triumph of Christ over the evil powers of the world through which he rescues his people and establishes a new relationship between God and the world. That all makes sense. But again, they take it to the extreme. They kind of twist it to mean that God wants Christians or one group of folks to succeed over another. They say that God wants us to have victory over our enemies or those who don't believe like us, whoever we might be or us might be. Dr. Corey Driver says that in Jesus' resurrection, God has defeated sin and death. Therefore, sin and death cannot be used to bring about anything that is for or of God. This is the difference between divine things and human things. In Jesus' resurrection, God has defeated sin and death. Therefore, sin and death cannot be used to bring about anything that is for or of God. Apply that to all the wars and oppression over the history of our lives. Uh, apply that to the recent deaths of Alexei Navalny and next Benedict. Apply that to all the division and dehumanizing in the world today. It's not about gaining victory over others. It's not even about gaining victory over suffering. Jesus could have done both of those things, and he didn't. Jesus says, for those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Indeed, what can one give in return for their soul? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of them, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Jesus tells Peter, get behind me. Our Reverend Larson again writes, it's only from behind Jesus that Peter or any of us, can learn to follow him. If Jesus gives us our druthers, we'd never pick the path that leads to the cross. That, Jesus tells us, is exactly what he's asking us to do. He promises that there is joy on the other side. Beyond the cross, he will be raised. Beyond the cross, we will find our lives Beyond the cross, we will learn that joy does not need a reason to exist that the world deems sufficient. We will find it in the darkness before the dawn, in the emptiness of a tomb, in the weeping confusion of the Easter proclamation that the women make. Jesus did not come to conquer suffering Rather than when we experience suffering, Jesus is with us saying, yeah, I've been there too. I'm with you. In six weeks, we get to see our oldest daughter and her boyfriend 
for the first, well, the second time in two years. And that's going to bring Missy and I great joy. In five weeks, we will celebrate Easter and the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Expectant joy will be witnessed. But even then, much like today, we live in between the right now and the not yet. Today is fraught with grief. Neither the world nor ourselves are as God desires. The world is rife with violence and division, suffering and hate. And we don't know if we will see it change in our lifetimes. But God will fulfill all God has promised. That joy is with us even in the midst of the not yet. And it has the power to shape our encounter with the right now. Through this complexity, God invites and equips us to cultivate expectant joy, a persistent trust in God's future promise that empowers us to work towards God's vision right now. Thanks be to God. Amen.